When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Lats Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You are watching episode 271. 272, I think, of the Lax Factor podcast. I got to fix my website because I see down here I've only got 270 up. Um, so today we are going to talk about a bunch of games that were played on Saturday. Sorry I didn't get this out to you uh, Sunday morning. I was uh, between getting home late and not being able to prep properly. I also was a little bit hungover uh, from the $90 worth of beer that I drank at the Dome because that's how I roll apparently. I uh, didn't want to roll that way. It's just the way that I rolled. And I, I say $90 worth of beer. It was six fiddleheads. They were $15 a pop. That is absolutely insane. Uh, thanks to Alex Wisner for the free tickets to the game, because without those, I'd be broke right now and not able to pay my mortgage after getting gouged for those beers. So uh, let me shut the hell up here. And we are going to dive right into this after I say, as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way, watch all our videos, get swag, or really all I ask subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, just do that on the YouTube side and then share the podcast with your friends if you're an audio listener or whatnot. And uh, that's it. Let's talk first about the Hopkins and the Denver game here. Now, Hopkins really blew this one. There's no two ways about it. Denver, they remained pesky all game long. Through the first half, they kept things close. They ended up finding a couple of seams here where Hopkins looked a little bit soft off ball, uh, and that, I think, hurt them through most of the game. As we go through and we'll see what Silstrop did to them at the end, it was all kind of off ball, finding seams kind of things, and that, I think, was one of the, one of the problems Hopkins had defensively overall. But uh, especially through that first half and through the first quarter, every time Hopkins would get a two-goal lead, Denver would answer to get back to within one. Hopkins roped two goals together, one with nine seconds in the half to take a 9-6 lead, and then Jacob Angelus started out the second half scoring. He had an unassisted goal of his own just about a minute and a half into the third quarter. That gave Hopkins a 10-6 lead. It looked like Hopkins was controlling this game throughout. After Hopkins took a 12-9 lead off a Jonathan Peshko goal with 4.06 remaining in the game, and at that point things looked really bad really bad for the piles and i'm thinking okay 12 9 four minutes left this ball game is over not so enter jj silstrop kid went absolutely ape shit crazy scoring uh, the game's final four goals the first 329 left in the game unassisted that made things 12 10 and if i'm if i recall correctly the goal that made it 12 10 was an absolute filthy wrap around from x defender draped all over him one-handed shot buried it to get back to within two still doesn't look great for denver at this point uh, he scored again with just 44 seconds remaining in the contest. That one 
quick snipe. Now things are like, ah, shit, man. Hopkins is in trouble. We got 44 seconds left. Uh, he scored a man-up goal assisted by Stephen Avery with zero ticks left on the clock. As time expired, ball crosses the plane of the goal, and we now have a tie at 12s, and overtime is happening. He then um, goes all crazy, apparently. I saw like on Twitter and crap like that, him talking about one more, one more, whether that meant one more for them to win the game, one more for him because he's an absolute animal at this point. And uh, yeah, no, he scores the game winner in overtime as well. What we noticed here, 156 left in OTs was where he scored that game winner. And uh, what we noticed here was Hopkins turning the ball over. We're going to see in another game, uh, the Penn State game, Penn State turning the ball over late in the game. Hopkins did very similar things, had two really bad turnovers late in this game uh, that that really kind of sealed the deal here and uh, sealed their fate, put Denver in a position to win, and they did that. Now, even though Hopkins controlled the score most of that game until the very end, the, te- uh, the team stats were mostly Denver. Denver was 2-5 and five on the extra man, Hopkins 0 for 3. The Pios picked up 24 GBs to Hopkins 21. The Piles only turned the ball over nine times on the day, which is very efficient uh, to Hopkins' 15 turnovers. Uh, Denver outshot Hopkins 46-35, to 25-20 in terms of on-cage shots. Credit Alex Dothakis. He won the day at the draw at the faceoff dot. He was 14-26, just a, a, a smidge above 50%. Uh, but also credit Logan Callahan for Hopkins, who went 12-23 against Dothakis. So he was a, a little bit above 50% too, and how that shook out was Hopkins had a another guy that uh, took three faceoffs and went 0 for 3. So that's how Stathakis got above 50%, but Callahan looked really good at the dot for, uh, for, uh, for Hopkins. Hopkins... That's rough. Like I said, defensively, they looked a little bit soft off ball. And with the talent they have on defense and the depth they have, I think that they'll be able to shore that up overall. If we look at what happened here in terms of the goalie battle and in terms of what guys did for points, Angelus, three goals, three helpers, six points on the day, not good enough. Russell, uh, the love muscle, Hernandez, Melendez, he was one and one on the day, a little bit quiet, not a whole lot of shots either. So Denver did a good job bottling him up as we look at Stathakis or Silstrop's day, six goals off 11 shots, four of those goals coming at the end of the game towards the end of that fourth quarter. So that was absolutely crazy. Uh, Denver got, you know, decent scoring in terms of their depth all the way down the roster here. Uh, as we go to the keepers, Chase Erlin, 12 saves, 13 goals against. Now, Erlin looked good early. It was that last stretch. Those last five minutes were a disaster for the entire Hopkins team, including Erlin. And then uh, Kleban in cage for Denver, eight saves, 12 goals against. Pretty good day here for him, you know, comparatively. Like I said, Denver struggled with uh, um, consistency in cage, as has Hopkins to a degree. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if those goalies can short up and get their asses above 50% here later in the season. But all in all, Hopkins played a little soft off ball. I think that's the big thing here. I think that they should have won this game considering how close the faceoff battle was. They did not, and they lose. So I'm going to shut the hell up about that one. We're now going to move on here quickly just to Duke Bellerman here. As I expected, Bellerman, they ended up putting up a pretty respectable showing, uh, uh, you know, 20 to 12 here in their loss to Duke on Saturday with Kyle Playstead of Bellerman scoring three goals while be- also becoming uh, Bellerman's all-time leading goal scorer in this game. Benny O'Rourke, two goals, three helpers, and John Alley, three goals in a dish. They were the top scorers for Bellerman. Now, to discuss Duke, a couple of interesting things here that I saw. First, Josh Zuwada, the transfer from Michigan, he did did end up getting the start on attack. I thought because of the way Michigan used Zuwada, 
over time while he was there. He kind of dodged from all over the field. I thought he would end up coming in nicely and being able to play midfield for Duke. Apparently, that's not the case. I, I had said, while I thought McAdory would end up starting at attack just because, you know, you get all three attackmen back, why not go with what's working? Apparently, Zawada just too good down there. Uh, the, uh, with both of them kind of being able to maybe play that role, Zawada, the true attackman over McAdory, who was kind of a midfielder converted to attack. Uh, so McAdory back at the midfield, he didn't have a bad day, but Josh Zuwada ends up uh, starting at attack. He ends up leading all scorers on the day, three goals, five helpers, shot like 60% uh, and put every cage that he put, every shot that he put on cage went in. Uh, so that's good as well. On to Brennan O'Neill, favorite for winning the Twarton after winning it a year ago. He finished the game four goals, three helpers off 13 shots. Dyson Williams goes for three goals. McAdory running midfield, he goes for two goals. Jack Papendick, which is like my new favorite name here, Jack Papendick. He goes for two goals in the win for Duke as well. Now, moving forward, it'll be interesting to see what kind of production we get out of McAdory at the midfield. Now, he wasn't a huge, huge point scorer a season ago in terms of the number of points that he put up. He put up a good a good chunk, but behind O'Neal and uh, Dyson Williams on attack, it, you know, he's the third attackman in terms of point production. Um, but I think at midfield, playing midfield again, I think that the matchups that he's going to get should be pretty crazy. Uh, I, I like his odds a little bit better against LSMs than I do against close defenders. And if you, if sadly he ends up with a short stick on him, forget about it. The kid's going to get separation and score goals. So I want to see how that plays out with him at midfield through the season, although I think it's going to be fine. Uh, Patrick Jamison, the freshman goaltender, got the start in net for Duke. I actually assumed Rackhauer or Helm or somebody would get the start here. Helm did get in the game. Duke played four goalies throughout the game as they got guys in. But uh, Helm started all 19 games a season ago. He might have been the fourth goalie to play here. Jamison, the freshman, gets to start. Had a decent outing. Actually, let's see what he did. You can come down here and see. Uh, Jamison, four saves, five goals against. Rackhauer got in, one save, three goals against. Evan Barr, one save, four goals against. So none of the goalies for Duke were above 50% except Last year's starter, who got about a half a quarter, he goes for three saves and no goals again. So we'll see how the, how this plays out for Duke in terms of you know what they have in cage because that's a huge question mark. Defensively, they are loaded. In cage, they have depth. You know between uh, Rackhauer and Helm, who have both uh, had starts uh, before, but they go with the freshman, and the freshman ends up putting up a decent game against a. A rough opponent. Uh, J.C. Higginbottom for uh, um, Bellarmine. He ends up with 18 saves. That's a hell of a day against a very good Duke team. This score could have got way further out of hand if it wasn't for the effort that he put up overall. And then uh, Jake Naso, 18 to 23 at the faceoff dot. And, and considering he dominated like that, I was surprised the score didn't go a little bit more in Duke's favor. But Coach D, the class act that he is, he subs liberally in games like this never letting them get too out of control, even though Duke probably could have scored 30 goals if they wanted to in a game like this. So uh, Duke, they have high point up next here on the road, and then Bellarmine's going to travel here to uh, upstate New York and take on uh, St. Bonaventure. And I think I forgot to tell you who Hopkins and Denver have. Hopkins takes on Towson at home on Tuesday, and Denver's going to for, uh, host Air Force this weekend. Next game we have to talk about was a crazy one that uh, ended up going into OT here, Colgate and Penn State. Now, Colgate came out hot against number four Penn State on Saturday. On the road, nonetheless, the Raiders held the lead for the bulk of the game. And it was it, it, the score of this one went very much like the Hopkins game, except in the end, Hopkins blew their lead and lost to Denver. In this case, Colgate blew their lead but still picks up the win. 
Uh, and and they held a lead of 10-6 at one point halfway through the third quarter. Penn State managed to get things back to even towards the end of the fourth quarter. First, Matt Trainer he scored, uh, uh, finished a three-goal Nittany Lions run. That knotted things up at 11s with about 6-21 left in the contest. That tie, short-lived. It was answered by Michael Minikis for Colgate, who scored less than a minute later, giving Colgate the lead once again. Ethan Long will now turn around. He scores with 2.33 left in the game for Penn State, once again tying things up this time at 12s. And at this point, you've kind of got to think Penn State has some momentum. They've been kind of winning the fourth quarter here at this point. Is this where they're going to now come out and win this game in regulation and just wreck Colgate's hearts? Not so. And, And not so partly because towards the end of that game, Penn State had two really bad turnovers. They they turned the ball over, I think, with about 44 seconds left in the game, and uh, and that gave Colgate the ball back. Colgate ends up turning the ball over. It looks like, hey, Penn, or, uh, yeah, on the sideline here, Colgate threw it away, went, went out of bounds. Penn State picks it up, and with like 13 seconds left on the clock, the initial pass, the very first pass off the whistle, uh, the Penn State kid throws it away. Ball goes back up the other way, and Hunter Druin, he scores, or no, it wasn't Hunter Druin. It was Liam Connor stuck one unassisted with four seconds remaining on the clock off that fast break off the turnover uh, to give Colgate the 13-12 lead and the eventual eventual win on the road against a team in Penn State that freaking played in the Final Four a season ago. That's nuts. Hunter Druin paced Colgate four goals in a dish. Uh, Connor uh, he had that one goal and an assist, uh, that game winner. Penn State, they're going to take on Villanova uh, this weekend while Colgate has Syracuse Monday night here at the Dome. You know, Colgate and Syracuse both pick up wins. They both have to turn around and play each other tonight at the Dome. And uh, that should be, uh, you know, um, it could that game could go either way. Colgate, I don't know. Does this mean that Colgate's for real? Uh, does this mean that Penn State just had a down game? Does this mean that Penn State may not be as good this season as they were a season ago? We'll kind of find out here with Colgate hitting the dome up. And, and Colgate tends to play really well in the dome, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out here. But hell of a game overall here. Now, if we kind of dig in a little bit deeper into Colgate, like I said, Drew in 4-1 uh, at the faceoff dot, kind of not really even split things. Penn State kind of won uh, there also, you see Minikis and Jack Turner each had two goals for Colgate. On the Penn State side, TJ Malone goes one goal, seven helpers on the day. So a hell of a game for Lamone, uh, uh, Malone, just not enough. And then Frassian in cage, only seven saves versus 13 goals against. Frassian, one of the top goalies in the country, had a miserable outing here with a, a stout solid defense in front of him. I was surprised. And Matt Lacombe for Colgate, he came out hot, played well early. He finishes the day 13 saves, 12 goals against. He wins the goalie battle. His team wins this game in regulation, not even in overtime in regulation. So a hell of a job here for Matt Lacombe of Colgate. Next game we are going to talk about here is going to be the Syracuse and the Vermont game. Now, Cuse, they got off to a slow start. It was a pretty dull and boring, uh, not even full first quarter, but first half of the first quarter here. Uh, like I said, they end up beating Vermont, what was it, 22-7. I put down $90 worth of fiddleheads. I was feeling pretty damn good by the game's end. Now, what we learned about Syracuse in this win, Jake Stevens, he's a beast. The dude puts up two goals in a dish, both goals 
in tight on the crease with the defender draped all over him. He still manages to finish. Joey Spelina's BTB feed to Stevens uh, with, with him falling to the ground as he still buries it. Likely the goal of the game, but there was plenty of really nice goals that were scored overall. Another thing that we learned here is Christian Moulet is going to fit in very nicely on that Syracuse attack. I, I was hoping and I was wondering if we were going to see maybe Trey Deer worked into that attack rotation. We did not see Deer hop on attack at all until the very end of the game when Syracuse subbed everybody out. Uh, but Moulet, he finishes with three goals, two assists off just four shots. All of his shots put on cage. He had a very efficient day. Joey Spelina, he did number 22 things, leading all scorers in the day. Three goals, four helpers in typical Spelina fashion. He did it without having the ball in his stick a ton. We saw a lot of Dodgers, you know, a lot of guys initiate on the day. He lets the game come to him. And to my drunk ass, it kind of seemed like he was slow rolling his his uh, point total to seven. It, you just didn't notice that he was in on that many plays and he was mixing it up all day long. Billy Dwan, you know, we have a question mark here. How's the the Syracuse close defense after having so many injuries last year? How are they going to fare this year? Billy Dwan looked very good on defense, mixed things up in transition, scored a goal on a dish from Spalina, forced two, two, two turnovers, picked up three ground balls. Figueroa looked good, Cole looked good, and we got a lot of guys that ended up getting to rotate in and play on defense. One of my buddies said, and I did not notice this, he watched the replay, he claimed that the Syracuse man-down defense didn't contain a starter, that it almost looked like that man-down defense was a whole different unit that they would bring in for those situations. So I'll watch that a little bit more closely tonight to see if they do that again. Uh, Will Mark in cage for Syracuse looked very good, especially across the final three quarters. He made 11 saves against 18 shots face. That's what you would expect him to do. Syracuse midfield, as deep as you would, as, as people have been advertising here, slew amids put up points. Uh, Princeton transfer Sam English goes for two goals. Michael Leo, one goal and a helper. Finn Thompson, two assists. Luke Roja looked very good. Paced amid, scoring a hat trick and at least two of those goals. Nice little twisters. One with his left, one with his right. Kid showing off his ambidextrous nature. Uh, he had Kark all. Kark was all excited about his two handedness or whatnot. And now the Orange, like I said, they have to turn around and take on a very scrappy uh, Colgate squad that took down the nation's number four team, uh, a team that played in the Final Four uh, a year ago. So Colgate, is, are they for real? Was this an, an anomaly? We'll kind of get an idea here tonight against Syracuse. One of the games I should have led with, uh, but once again, in my scramble, I didn't get a chance to actually see any of this. I'm not. I'm, it had to have been televised to, to some degree, I presume, but I didn't get to see a lot of it, was uh, Princeton and or Princeton, Maryland against Richmond. Maryland goes on the road, takes on Richmond at their place here. And this game didn't disappoint. At one point, Maryland ends up taking a 7-5 lead after Richmond kind of jumped out early and got rolling. Richmond continues to battle back. They tie things up at eights about halfway, a little over halfway through the third quarter. Maryland takes a two-goal lead again. Before the end of the third, Richmond gets back to within one, and then Aiden O'Neill scores. That gives uh, that ties the score up at the beginning of the fourth, and then they exchange goals and it's 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 ugly, but in the end, Maryland does pick up the win. Owen Murphy scores the game winner in the second overtime on an assist from Ryan Syracusa. So Maryland does pull out the win. They go uh, they go on to win 12-11 in two overtimes. Points here. Maliver back from injury here. He goes one of three. Braden Irksa, the guy that we now know can kind of manage the offense and play QB to that offense. He goes for three goals off just six shots. Uh, Chorus one and one. Daniel Maltz two and zero. Oh. Uh, Ryan Syracuse, a one and one. So they go deep. Ajax Zapatello, Maryland's best defender. He goes for a goal on the day with two cause turnovers and a GB. So he has himself a game on the Richmond side. Dalton Young, two and two. 
Henry Alpaw, 1-2. Lance Madonna, 2-0. So their usual suspects all factor here. Logan McNaney, Maryland's goaltender who was injured a season ago. He played every game for Maryland in their undefeated national championship winning season. I believe he played every game for Maryland the year they went 15-1. and uh, Injured a season ago, but he comes in 13 saves against 11 goals against. So he has a good day. He wins the goalie battle and his team ever so slightly uh, ekes out a win here. Luke Weirman at the faceoff dot, 17 of 29. He did what you expected, but for sure credit to uh, Jared Chinoy here for going 12 of 29. He kept it interesting. Maryland didn't route them at the dot. Had they done that, the spread's a little bit bigger. So credit to Chinoy here for keeping things interesting. And uh, that's it for that one. Maryland will now face, I don't even know. I'll, I'll, we'll go into that here uh, come Thursday. I'm not even going to talk about who guys, who teams face here next. Another game that had me a little bit scared early on here um, was uh, Utah and Ohio State. I had taken Ohio State actually to cover. I believe there were two two goal favorites in this one, and it looks like they covered. I'm not sure. I lost my parlay anyway. I had a five day a five team parlay. Hopkins lost that one for me. I had the other the other four picks correct, and I lost it because of Ohio State. Or no, no, who day? Yeah, I lost it because of Hopkins. Denver. Um, so Ohio State, yeah, Utah comes out gunning early on. At one point, they were up 6-2 in the second quarter before Ohio State goes on a five-goal run capped by Thomas Greenblatt, another Binghamton University player um, transferring to a Big Ten school. It was, uh, I forget what the hell the name of the dude was last year for Penn State off the top of my head, but now Greenblatt joining the Big Ten as well for Ohio State. He ends up scoring, and that gave Ohio State a one-goal lead with 8.31 left. Uh, Utah would answer back, take the lead back 8-7 before Ohio State would uh, rattle off the game's final four goals. They rolled to win 11-8 in this one. Uh, from a statistical standpoint, uh, for Utah, and I can't change the stats here, Utah ends up Ryan Steins, uh, that attackman there that's supposedly the real deal. He goes for three goals on the day. Um, and for Penn State, Gannon Matthews, five goals and a helper on the day for Gannon Matthews. Now, is Matthews the transfer? Is Gannon Matthews, where did he transfer? Did he transfer from Cleveland State, I think, potentially? So, hey, that's big in the transfer portal. Greenblatt transfer. He gets a goal on the day. Keeper battle, Ohio State, uh, Henry Blake, he goes for 10 saves against eight goals against, and Colin Lenskold loses a goalie battle. Utah loses the game here. Faceoff dot was going to be an interesting battle in this one. I was thinking Tommy Burke was going to dominate. Kind of did. He was 50% on the day uh, against um, Tyler Kalecki. Now, was it was it Utah that lost there? Faceoff guy potentially to somebody. I, I thought that might have been the case here. Was Cole Brams Utah's faceoff guy at one point, and he's gone now? I don't know. Someone's going to have to let me know in the comments here. But that ended up being a good win for Ohio State. Utah came out though and showed they're legit still on the road playing against a very good team in Ohio State. So credit to Utah for keeping things interesting, for scaring Ohio State maybe even just a little bit. And we move on to the next one. High point against Mercer. Same thing here. Mercer came out, took a two goal lead. It took a while. Very slow, very ugly first quarter here. But then you see High Point absolutely took control. After Mercer jumps out to a two-goal lead, High Point scores the game's next, what, um, nine goals to take a 9-2 lead just halfway through the second quarter, which was nuts. Braden Maia, I believe he had himself a day here. Let's see, Mercer uh, 
Parker Janode gets uh, four four points, two goals, two helpers. For high point, they're paced by Maia. Four goals and a helper. His game has progressed. He was really just an off-ball guy his first couple of years, and he's still an off-ball attackman. And I think early on in this game, because I watched the first uh, first quarter a little bit into the second quarter, I felt like they were trying to force the ball to Maia a little bit too much. Uh, and when they stopped doing that, the game kind of started coming back to everybody, and dudes just started feasting here. O- uh, Van Overbeek, one of three. Rizzo, two and zero. Oh, you know, so high point gets a bunch of scoring out of everybody. High points, new goalkeeper, Zach Overend, nine saves against seven goals against. He has a good day. Colin Kelly in cage for um, Mercer, 16 saves, 14 goals against. He had a solid day as well. They split at the faceoff dot, so no news really to report there. Another interesting score on the day. I thought this one would be a little bit closer, although I did like Loyola in this one. Loyola beat up on Georgetown badly. 18 to 10 here on the day. Georgetown came out, scored the first goal, but then Loyola goes on to take a 4-1 lead before letting Georgetown score. They go up 5-2, and you can just see every time Loyola, every time Georgetown would score, Loyola goes on a three-goal run or a four-goal run over five goals or something like that. Georgetown kept fighting, but you can see as we kind of go down through the score, just never got back to close again, and uh, uh, the Greyhounds ran away with it. Leading scorer for Georgetown, Jordan Ray had five goals on the day. TJ Haley uh, and Alexander Verdaro, one of the things that Loyola did, and I read this in an article actually, I did not see even a second of this game, was that they really went after, Loyola really went after the midfielders, TJ Haley and uh, Alexander Verdaro hard. They figured new attack unit, uh, for Georgetown, so let's make Haley and Vardaro be the guys that we try to shut down and make someone else other than those two beat us, and they did a great job here. They limit Haley to just three shots. He did go for a goal and two helpers, so considering the, uh, how much effort was spent trying to shut him down, you know, they did. Oh, and actually, I'm wrong. TJ Haley, it wasn't Haley. They went after Vardaro and Graham Bundy Jr. So you see Graham Bundy Jr. gets eight shots on the day, no points, no assists, and two turnovers. So Loyola did a great job of bottling up um, Bundy. And then Vardaro, same shit, eight shots, just one goal, one helper off two points. TJ Haley was the one that they said if someone was going to beat us, it's going to be Haley. He goes for one and two off just three shots. But in the end, huge, just you can't do enough to credit the Loyola defense for what they did. And uh, and then the Loyola offense, we expected them to be good. They've got a lot of returners now. James Evans, he goes for five goals and four helpers. Adam Poitras, four and one. Matthew Minicus, the young guy, he goes for four. So those, the, those three attackmen for Loyola, very good, deep all the way down to Minicus, who I believe is the youngster uh, on that group here. From a face-off perspective, ah, Looked pretty good here for Georgetown. 16 to 22. James Ball, I believe he transferred. He goes 16 to 22 for the Hoyas, and it just doesn't matter because uh, um, uh, Loyola just put it on him here. Luke Stott in cage, 11 saves against 10 goals against. He wins the goalie battle. And Anderson Moore for the Hoyas, new goalkeeper. You know, for Georgetown here, very new look defense as well. They struggled all day long. Their defense just could not figure out the veterans for Loyola, and Loyola ends up beating their ass. And we come into the games we did not talk about. Cleveland State ends up coming from behind. They beat VMI in overtime. Uh, What else we got? Navy beat up on Mount St. Mary's. Their defense apparently looked very good in that game. Merrimack beat Bucknell. I actually figured Bucknell would win that one. Not so. Merrimack handles their business. Hofstra, they beat up Wagner 21-9. And I want to say they had a dude that scored nine nine points. Here, Rory Jones for Hofstra, eight goals, 
one assist off 15 shots, so a hell of a day there for uh, Rory Jones. Rutgers beat Lehigh. Lehigh made, had a good showing. Lehigh lost a lot of talent. Moulet, he ends up going to Cuse. They lose um, uh, Sisselberger to graduation. They do bring in a really good face-off guy, though. Rutgers ends up winning this game. I didn't write this one up because, once again, I didn't get to watch this one. Ross Scott goes 2-3. and three. Dante Coolis goes 2-3. and three. Uh, Very good job out of those guys. From the face-off dot perspective, I was curious to see how Lehigh did. They lose the better half of it here. Uh, Rutgers goes 60% at the faceoff dot. Both Matt Suter and Cole Brams each win 60% of their draws. They both go 9 of 15. And then in terms of our goalie battle, Stoller, 45%. I got no stats here for Lehigh. I don't know how that works, but that's how that worked out. And then we did have some games yesterday. Mercer turns around, beats Hampton the day after losing to High Point. Stony Brook barely ekes one out against Sacred Heart. And Providence beat up on Holy Cross, which we expected here. So like I said, tonight's big game, Syracuse-Colgate, the only game being played today, uh, as has been the case here. I will be back Thursday for the preview show, but I'm going to shut the hell up now because I still have to splice some highlights into this bad boy and get this uploaded and all that crap. So I'm going to be quiet as always. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. You can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way, get yourself some swag, watch our videos and everything there. Or just like I said, only thing I really ask, subscribe, share the show with your friends, make sure more people are watching it and know what I'm doing here. And uh, that's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Come back. Thursday for the weekend preview show and Hoost is out. The Lax Factor Podcast.